Hey, this is Ty Tabor of King's X, and you're listening to Thunder Underground. Welcome to episode 344 of the Thunder Underground podcast. Trent here as always, and this week, I'm really happy to say we have Ty Tabor of King's X joining the podcast. Very happy about that. I've been a fan of King's X for about 30 years. 91, 92, 93, and then became like a mega fan when the Dogman album came out. That really put me over the edge. To be able to get a member of King's X on here is very exciting. And I know that Ty Tabor as a guitarist is pretty underrated in the grand scheme of things because I know that a lot of people consider, I mean, I've talked to people, like when I announced it, I had someone say that he was their favorite guitarist of all time. And a lot of people that talk about how he's got one of the best tones of all time, all kinds of stuff. So very, very happy to be able to have Ty on this podcast. I'm going to talk a little bit more about King's X here in a bit before we get to that interview and a couple other things. But first, I need to let you know about our sponsors, and that would be, let's kick this off with DEB Concerts tonight. If you're listening to this the day it dropped, DEB Concerts is a promoter based here where I'm at in Tulsa, Oklahoma. March 24th tonight and tomorrow, March 25th, Snoop Dogg, Ice Cube, and Warren G will be at the BOK Center in Tulsa both nights. So if you're just finding about, out about this right now today, and you can't tonight, you've still got tomorrow night. Three legendary hip-hop artists from the 90s. You know, in case you didn't know, Ice Cube still puts out music every once in a while. His album that came out like five years ago, I thought it was excellent. So check out this show if you love hip-hop. BOKCenter.com for ticket info. Coming up at the end of April, sticking to the subject matter of this podcast, which is hard rock and heavy metal, we've got the Metal Tour of the Year coming to Tulsa, Megadeth, Lamb of God, and In Flames. Doesn't get much more metal than that, does it? Well, it does if you consider what how In Flames used to sound. That's way more metal, but that's beside the point, and that's a topic for another day. I'm promoting this show, right? I love In Flames, by the way. I'm just saying we all know that they've shifted their sound quite a bit throughout the years. But those three bands will be at the BOK Center April 30th. That will be excellent. They're all excellent live bands. Same thing, BOKCenter.com. And then in August, August 20th, Poison will return to Tulsa at the BOK Center as well, along with Tom Kiefer of Cinderella and LA Guns. So you got some great 80s glam style rock there. Then you've got some metal with the Metal Tour of the Year, and you've got some hip-hop. So DB Concerts is doing work all across the board. They also book the Roadhouse stage at Rocklahoma every year. That announcement will be coming soon, and we'll be talking about all the bands that they're booking to play the Roadhouse stage as soon as that's announced. So hit up debconcerts.com, follow them on all the socials. We've also got MedFarm. It's a dispensary located in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, 24683 East Highway 51. Can't miss them. They're right off the highway. If you call, text, or email your order ahead of time, you can go right through their drive-thru and pick it up and be on your way. Most dispensaries don't offer a drive-thru. And I believe, I need to double-check this again, but I believe their drive-thru is still open 24 hours a day, which is something else that is not common in the world of dispensaries around here, at least. And another thing that is not very common is that 30% of their proceeds at all times, go to build no-kill animal shelters. 
They are cannabis with a cause. So if you are anywhere in the Tulsa area, it's worth your drive over here because a third of what you're paying at any time is going to an amazing cause to help out some animals. On top of that, if you mention Thunder Underground, they'll give you 10% off your first order. Their entire selection is at leafly.com. You can follow them on their socials, MedFarmOK on Instagram. Their website is also MedFarmOK.com. And on Facebook, it's MedFarm, P-H-A-R-M. They're always running specials weekly, so get on there and follow them so you don't miss any of that. Finally, we've got Sunset Tattoo, tattoo shop located in Midtown Tulsa. Their tattoos are done good and proper. They're state licensed. Most importantly, they are mother approved. 25 plus years of experience. Jake does an amazing job. I've had tattoo work done by him. I will have more in the future. I'm very happy with it. I know several other people that have as well. He's done a lot of musicians, major musicians that came through town when he used to have Downtown Lounge. They were always doing, you know, Jake's been a part of the music business for a long time, so he knows these guys. So if you want to be just like your favorite rock star, you need to go to Sunset Tattoo. You can call or message ahead of time to set up an appointment time to get in there to talk about what work you need to get done. Or if you've already got it ready to go, then just shoot him over a message with your design. Follow him on Instagram, Sunset Tattoo Tulsa, to see all the photos of all his work. You can also find him on Facebook at the same thing, Sunset Tattoo Tulsa, and let him know you heard about him right here on Thunder Underground. All right, uh, first thing, just a day or two ago, Skid Row announced that they are replacing ZP Hart with a new vocalist. For those of you who aren't familiar with ZP Hart, he is the original vocalist of Dragon Force, and then he became the vocalist of Skid Row a few years ago. He's lasted a little longer than a couple guys before him, I think. Tony Harnell and... I'm drawing a blank on someone else. And then, of course, Johnny Solinger lasted quite a while before he unfortunately passed away. Well, I mean, a word that better passed away after he was not a... after he had left Skid Row, but... They have replaced... ZP now, they didn't really explain why, if there was a falling out or what the deal was, who knows. But Eric Grunewald, who was the original vocalist for the band Heat out of Sweden, is the new vocalist. And from, you know, not having ever, obviously ever heard this guy sing for Skid Row, I think this is a very good replacement. A, I think his voice fits better than ZP's. Even without hearing it, just knowing his voice. This guy, I mean, you can't knock anything about ZP. You can't knock anything about Tony Harnell and what those guys can do vocal-wise. But I think Eric is probably the best vocalist that's been in this band since Sebastian Bach. And at this current stage of 2022, he's probably the best vocalist they could have when you include Sebastian Bach. No knock on Bach, he still sounds excellent, but we're talking about a guy that's probably at least, I don't know how much younger than Bach, 20 years, maybe. Eric is a phenomenal singer, just look up a few YouTube videos. Heat is a fantastic band, if you're not familiar with them, do the same thing, look up some some videos, pull them up on Spotify, great melodic rock band out of Sweden. But this is kind of something cool to look forward to. I know that this is a very touchy issue with a lot of people. I personally think this is an upgrade, but the whole situation with Skid Row 
Singers is now kind of resembling like the Denver Broncos or the Indianapolis Colts quarterback situation over the past five or six years, where every year it's a new quarterback. I mean, obviously, Skid Row hasn't been as drastic as every single year, but you get the analogy, right? I'm not one of those people that blow off Skid Row because Sebastian Bach's not there. In fact, I've been an adamant supporter of them throughout all the years. Anytime I've had a chance to see them live, I have, and I've saw them live with Johnny Solinger multiple times, and I always thought it was excellent. I've seen Sebastian Bach solo multiple times, and I've always thought it was excellent. This is one of those situations, kind of like Queensryche and Jeff Tate or whatever, where you've still got two sides putting on great performances. It kind of gives you the opportunity to, you know, to double double the pleasure, right? I understand we all want there to be, you know, hey, look, here's the five original members. And that would be a much bigger deal for both sides. They would both go from playing club level shows to definitely headlining theaters and possibly even bigger spaces, depending on how the tour was packaged. They could easily, they could probably headline festivals in Europe. You know, they could be ranked, you know, ranked way higher on festivals in America. It's just if Rachel Bolin and Snake Sabo aren't interested, they don't have any obligation to you as a fan to make sure Sebastian Bach is in their band. And I'm, I know that that's something that a lot of people can't grasp. They can't understand that fact that the music business is the key word right there is business. And they own this this corporation, this LLC, whatever you want to call it. It's technically the same thing as it's the exact same thing as a business because that's what it is. And if you have someone you used to work with that you don't get along with, you don't ever want to work with them again. So you don't. If they get removed from the situation or you get removed from the situation, you both go on about your lives. And I understand that there's the grand scheme of things. You kind of got to look at the entertainment industry slightly different because people have such an attachment to it in one way or the other. I can't stress enough that Rachel Bolin wants to be happy just as much as you do. And he doesn't owe you the fact that your happiness outweighs his, right? And I understand people always want to say, it was because of the fans that made you this and that. You owe it. They don't owe you shit, first off. But, And I actually saw a post just earlier today that Stevie Rochelle from the band Tough and, of course, Metal Sludge made, which was excellent. It was pretty long. I'd have read it here, but it's super fucking long. Basically saying the same thing I did, but a little bit better, just talking about, you know, ex-wives and that kind of thing. Would you go back because someone told you to? You get the idea. But someone in the comments made a comment about, but we're the customer, technically, in this situation, so we have a right to an opinion. Which, of course, everyone has a right to opinion. There's no one denying that. But the way I look at it is, you're only a customer of Skid Row if you buy a ticket to go to a Skid Row show. And when you buy a ticket to go to a Skid Row show, unless you're living in fucking space for the last 27 years or however long it's been, you don't go into that show with the expectation that Sebastian Bach 
and Rob Afuzo is going to be on that stage and you're going to get the five original members. You know damn well when you buy that ticket that it's going to be a different singer. Sure, you might not know it's going to be Eric Grunewald or ZP Hart or whoever. You might not know that, but you do know it's not Sebastian Bach. No one's misleading you. Skid Row isn't trying to trick you. So when you buy a ticket, that's your own responsibility to know what you're getting, okay? So there's the end of that transaction. You supported them in the 80s and 90s. You bought the albums. You bought CDs, cassettes, vinyl, whatever. You bought posters for your wall when you were young. You went to shows. You saw them headline a, some theater in freaking Des Moines, Iowa. You saw them open for Bon Jovi in New Jersey in 1989. You saw them open for Guns N' Roses in 1991. You saw them with Pantera opening for them in 1991. You paid for all those shows. That's fucking great. But guess what? As soon as you paid for that show, and as soon as they showed up and played that show, that was the end of tr the transaction. As soon as they made that music, you bought it, you own that music now, that physical copy of that music, that's the end of the transaction. No musician owes you jack shit. Sure, it would be great. If Skid Row got back together with Sebastian Bach, I'd be one of the first people there. But if Skid Row comes to town with Eric Grunewald, I'm also going to be one of the first people there because I fucking love their music. And if Sebastian Bach comes here, same exact thing. You know why? Because I'm a grown-ass person who knows how to fucking differentiate what I think is right between what is just natural reality, okay? So, with all that being... That was a long fucking ramble. I apologize. The point is, Eric Grunewald is here, and he's got a great voice, and you should check it out. Skid Row has a new album with Eric on vocals coming out in October, and they've already released a snippet of the first single, which I believe is supposed to be out tomorrow, March 25th. So that leads us all to the obvious conclusion that there wasn't a falling out with ZP like a few weeks ago and then they found Eric. This is something that's been going on behind the scenes for at least a, you know, you would think a few months or something for them to be able to have a single out, have a release date for an album and all that kind of stuff. So that's something to look forward to. If you're a Skid Row fan and you're not, you know, some kind of person who thinks they owe you something with whoever's in the band. Look for a new single tomorrow. It's the title track for the album. I already forgot what it's called, and I'm not going to look it up right now. But the album's in October, and Skid Row will be playing a lot around the country. And speaking of that, if you're in my area, they're coming to Tulsa in May. May 6th at the Osage Event Center at the Osage Casino. If I'm in town, if I'm not out of town working, I will definitely be there. All right, now that I rambled way too long about the fact that Skid Row has a new singer, I'm going to start talking about Ty Tabor because that's the point of this episode of the podcast. Ty Tabor, of course, is the guitarist for King's X. King's X is a three-piece band, and along with Ty, Jerry Gaskell, and Doug Pinnock, round out this three-piece, and they have been this three-piece for as long as King's X has been around. And I believe that's one of the... Besides the fact that these three men are all world-class musicians, the fact that they've been together for so long, I believe, is one of the, the key element as to why this is such an excellent live band. It's the same sentiment I just talked about last week with Seven Dust. 
because I talked about the Seven Dust show I went to recently, and I also recently recorded an interview with Lejean Witherspoon of Seven Dust that should be out next week. Same, you know, same five guys from when they started 25 plus years ago. King's X is the same five guys now for 35 plus years. So, you know when you go to a King's X show, you're going to get an amazing show. I've seen him as recently as, I think the most recent time I saw him was 2016, maybe. They played an event in Dallas that was called a, it was called like the Hair Metal Holiday or something. At the Bomb Factory, and it featured, you know, Lynch Mob, Tough, I mentioned Steve Rochelle earlier, Lillian Axe, um, Slaughter, I think. I'm forgetting a couple, but the point is, I would see this band live anytime I get a chance. They don't, they're not one of those bands that's out touring constantly, but they have had American tours announced the last two years that, of course, with COVID got bumped. And I know the one in 2021 got bumped as well to this fall. And that's probably going to time out with a new album, which we talk a bit, a little bit about here in this upcoming interview. The new album release date and all that hasn't been announced yet, unless I just missed it. But he mentions here that all that info should be coming pretty soon. So we'll get a brand new album from King's X here in 2022. And that will be their first new album since 2008, which is a long-ass period in the world of King's X, and that's another thing that we talk about coming up, because Queen King's X, in that span of the mid-80s to 2008, which was like a 22-year span, I don't, should have looked this up again, but just a little over 22 years, you know, they put out like 10 or 12 albums, yeah, and so they were consistently putting them out every other year. And in the early days, every year or so. So, as a King's X fan, I know that there are a ton of other ones besides me that have been waiting patiently and can't wait to hear brand new music from these three guys. It'll be coming here, like I said, within the next few months. But in the meantime, if you're a King's X fan, Ty Tabor put out his brand new solo album here just a couple, a few weeks ago. It's called Shades. It's his 11th solo album. Just think about that. This is a guy that is known for being a part of a an amazing rock band that has a bunch of albums. And as a solo artist, he has 11 albums. There's a bunch of bands out there that you know and love that in their entire career don't even have 11 albums. You know, who comes to mind? You know, bands like Pantera and Guns N' Roses and... You know, bands that have been around, there's multiple other ones. You know, classic rock bands you think of from the 70s, you know, that only had like six or eight albums. You know, here's a guy that's just putting out music continuously throughout his career. And he's got Jelly Jam. He's got other projects as well. And that's one of the things I ask him about as well, because he's got 30 plus albums under his, in his discography as a musician which is phenomenal and amazing. And the fact that they all come out and they're high quality, great musicianship. Shades, you know, is just another one. He's, I love the fact that his solo music sounds different enough from King's X, but you still know who it is because of that guitar tone. He's got a great voice. And of course he's sung 
some King's X songs, so you already know that as well. So check out Shades. Just came out recently. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about King's X. We're going to talk about a few other things, so let's get into it. Here's Ty Tabor of King's X. record winter of, of uh, I don't know, we've had snow after snow after snow this year compared to normal and um, like set a, like set a few records. So yeah, you got plenty of snow, yeah. but luckily for us this, uh, this weekend, it got warm and sunshine, you know, this past weekend and kind of melted it all away, which is unusual because yeah. usually, you know, you know how it is. It starts snowing in January and then it snows on the ground till March. <laughs> you know, big piles of snow everywhere. So luckily the hot weather has uh, melted most of it away and it's cool now. Yeah. Yeah. Same. I'm in Oklahoma and it was the same thing It several inches of snow and then it was gone by the next day, pretty much. So jumping into this shades has been out now a little over a week. Are you happy with the response from fans and everything so far? Uh, yeah, I am. I'm actually very surprised by it. I was not expecting the kind of reaction I'm getting from it. Um, so yeah, very surprised. Were you surprised just for the fact that it's, it's been a few years or, or what do you mean? By uh, that? Or, I just have other albums that I've released that I have, uh, that I can compare reaction to. I can compare how people in general are, are reacting to it compared to other albums. And this one seems to be getting much better reaction than I ever expected. I had no idea it would. Okay. My favorite tracks on the album probably are best day in a while and insane like what are some of the standout tracks to you personally i don't really have uh standout tracks to me it's just more like it's a bunch of uh pages from a diary or something it's all the same to me the whole album is is the message in my head so i don't really i don't think a lot about individual songs i think about the feel of the whole thing is that the way you usually feel about any album you're a part of? I think so. It's really important to me that an album flows as an album, not just as a collection of songs, that it has, a, you know, that it takes you on a journey all the way to the end, just like you're, you've watched a good movie. That's what I feel a good album does. If, if it takes you places and you get to the end and, and, just you've been uh, totally zoned into it the whole time, then I call that a good album. Uh, that's albums that do that to me are the albums I think of as good albums. So that's what I always hope for anything I do, but you, you never know if it's actually going to pull that off for people or not. Right. You played, you played everything on this album, right? Yeah. Entirely. And you mm -hmm. self-produced it. Like, do you prefer that kind of freedom where you have control of every single aspect? and you don't have any outside input or anything? Um, I think that it's good and bad. I mean, I love the total freedom, but I would love to have other people's input in playing if there were other people around me that I really uh, connected with musically and felt they got it and you know, understood the vibe of, of where I'm trying to go. I, I would love to have other musicians do that, but that's hard to find. 
I mean, I've been listening to musicians in Kansas City ever since I moved here. And even five years before I moved here, I was coming here, you know, regularly. And um, I, it doesn't matter how many I've gone to see, there's been nobody that I point at and go, oh, I want to play with him. You know what I mean? It's hard to find the right person that plays the right way and gets it with the right vibe. Um, and I'm super picky. So I, I end up doing everything myself, but I would love to have input from other people if there were other people around that I trusted. Uh, down in Texas, there are a few musicians I would love to be on my stuff, but, but because I'm up in Kansas City, it just can't really happen. So doing it myself. But when, when you're producing someone else, how do you, I mean, what's the process different for you when you're producing your own music as compared to someone else, or is there a difference? Um, it's very similar because when you produce your own stuff, you get into producer mind. And if you're working on somebody else, you're in the same producer mind of what does this song need at this point? What's it missing? And all those little things, you know, I, I think I probably do the same thing with other people's music as I do myself, try to be critical. And, and the main thing I do is listen to a song and it, does it emotionally carry me to the next part naturally? Even if it's a complicated song, you know, it doesn't matter if it's Prague, it can still carry you naturally to the next place or not. And those are the type of things I look at in my own music or anyone else's is just whether the song emotionally is building or keeping me interested or moving me at the right moment. And a lot of times, when things like that happen, it's it's has to do with sounds in the background that you may never even hear or notice, but you feel an emotion at the right time. And that's kind of how I look at everything. It's all about the emotion and how to accomplish how eventually it's going to make you feel. <laughs> that's the whole goal. All this technical stuff to deal with feelings is crazy. <laughs> right. Well, I don't, I don't know when you started you know, working on this album specifically, but did the, everything that went on with the pandemic, did that influence your lyric writing at all? I don't know. Uh, my life didn't change as much during the pandemic as most people's because I already was, you know, before pandemic spending most of my time down here alone at the studio. So, I mean, I come down here every day and work alone for the most part. I have one other friend that comes, has come down uh, in the past uh, to help out here and there. But in general, it's just me here all the time alone. And so when the pandemic hit, hit, I remember driving down here and thinking, well, you know, this is the same to me, but the whole world out there has changed. And I remember being thinking about, I mean, thinking about that and it, and it weighing on me, but realizing that really nothing much was going to change for me other than how I get my groceries. You know, that's about it. Yeah. I had read that Sister Genocide was originally written for King's X when you're when you're writing do you have a different approach if you're writing for King's X or for a solo album or anything else or is it all just kind of you write to write well let me correct that uh, slightly um I turned in Sister Genocide as a song to be considered by King's X it wasn't actually written for King's X okay I just write I just write music and whatever music I have is what I turn in when a project is going on. So that was something I had written before going in to record the King's X album. But when I write stuff, like I said, I wasn't thinking, oh, this is going to be a great King's X song. I was just writing a song. Um, 
So it did get turned into King's X and we did record it actually. But, uh, and this has happened with many songs of ours. It just, it just lacked the magic, you know, it just wasn't coming together yet. So I asked if we could, you know, if I could just have the song back and us leave it off the album. And, and, and we did. Doug took a few songs back too, for the same type of reason. And uh, that kind of stuff happens, but I think we all just write music period. And if King's X is doing an album, we throw everything we got into the pile and see what we all identify with and who gets excited about what, and that's the direction we go. So that's more the, that's, that's technically more what happened. It wasn't actually written for King's X. It was turned into King's X for that album and we did record it, but uh, it was just a song I wrote. Okay. Cause I mean, you can listen to your solo albums and then listen to King's X and there's obviously a different feel, even though there's some, I mean, you got the guitar tone and your voice obviously crosses over, but I just didn't know if sometimes you're setting down writing and you write something you think, Oh, this sounds like solo work. This sounds like King's X or anything like that. These days, I don't think that way at all. Yeah. In the past though, I will say that I did write a lot of stuff for King's X in the early days because I wasn't doing solo albums and I wasn't doing side projects and right. So everything was for King's X. And I remember thinking that way. But as I began to do more things and solo stuff, I realized I just need to write music, period. You know, just write, write, write. And it and the people you're playing with determine how it turns out. I mean, the, if I turn in the same song to King's X that I do to the Jelly Jam, it's going to be two totally different songs by the end of the day, just because of the other people involved in their influence and how they play and how they feel. It'll have a different vibe. It's a different suit. So that's what I found out is that I can turn it into anybody and it doesn't matter because the group of people that are dealing with it will make it their own. And that's kind of how it works. Between, I mean, this is your 11th student, your 11th solo album between that and King's X and Jelly Jam, Platypus, everything else you've been involved with. You've got over 30 albums in your discography of your career. And I mean, there's tons of, the majority of bands don't even have half that in their entire career. Like what do you attribute your amazing musical output to throughout your life? Being lucky enough to have the opportunity to do it. I mean, yeah. I'm lucky enough to have a studio and that I can come to every day without pressure. And, you know, the clock isn't running 500 bucks an hour and all that craziness, you know? So there's no stress time wise. Uh, I wait till I've, feel something and do it then. And if I'm not feeling something, I do something else. And um, to me, I mean, that's an ultimate, ultimate gift that I always dreamed of someday having when I was a kid. And here I am as an adult and all of a sudden realize I do have that. And I don't even know when it started. Yeah. I just have always been this lucky uh, as far as being able to make music, having time to do it, time to do it on my own, spend as much or little time doing it as I want. I mean, all of that has been a freedom uh, my whole adult life. And uh, that is an extremely awesome gift. Where do you draw inspiration at these days? Because I'm sure it's totally different from where you drew inspiration from 30 years ago, because you're 30 years older. I still draw inspiration for some of the same stuff I did younger. But of course, the older you get, the more you listen to, the more things become a part of that. And, and uh, so there are a lot of things that have influenced me over the years. Uh, but the, the only band that 
is very obvious to tell is the Beatles, you know, because I still listen to the Beatles. I still am inspired by them. And uh, the way they recorded things and the type of tones they got are still to this day some of the most magic stuff that's ever been laid down in history. So that's a big bar. You know, that's something to um, draw inspiration from forever because <laughs> none of us will ever be the Beatles. And so that inspiration is nonstop forever for me. But a, a lot of 70s rock uh, changed my life and made me look at things differently. A lot of guitarists did. But in the, in the last 15, 20 years, um, there hasn't been a whole lot that has affected me that is new. Um, I, I got into Death Cab for Cutie pretty heavily for years when it was the original band with uh, Chris Walla producing and, and in the band. Once he left the band, I, I just, uh, yeah, I, I don't have the same interests I had before, but when it was the original band with the original quirky mixes and, and vibe that they had, I thought that was one of the greatest bands on earth. And I got a lot of inspiration from them during that time, but I don't want to point people to them now who go listen to that. And, and cause that's not what I was inspired by. You got to look at, listen to the old stuff with the original band. The new stuff sounds better. It's more slick and I don't get anything from it. Unfortunately, you know, looking back throughout your entire career, like from the first Kings X album to now, like what's your most memorable recording experience? Cause that's obviously changed tons throughout the years and now you've got your own studio can you pinpoint a single album or a moment in time well it's i could point to all of them because they're all entirely different life experiences i mean the first four were done in the same place so they all had a similar kind of thing to it but um i mean we've recorded in atlanta with brendan o'brien we've recorded in la with arnold lanny we've recorded uh, Houston, we recorded, you know, just different places to do different albums and different studios in those places. And so all of them are a different experience. Um, I could point to anyone and start talking about them because they're, they're like uh, chapters in a book, you know, and everybody goes through different things as you know, we get older. And all those things are attached to all the individual projects and albums over the years. So, um, Nothing singularly sticks out because they all stick out to me one way or another for what they were. But I can say that the excitement of the first couple of albums is hard to beat when you have your first real record deal and, and things are starting to happen. That's a pretty exciting time, but it's also a stressful time. And we worked hard during that time, worked so hard, I hardly remember it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because you guys were putting out albums like that. Those first three albums came out in the span of what three or four years, and that was something bands did in the seventies. But by the time late eighties came along, it was like an every two or three year thing. So, and yeah, I just we saw had the, a lot of we had a lot of music yeah. just sitting around, <laughs> and and so we were ready to go, and uh, so we just kept the cycle going. But it was just a matter of we had so much music that we still believed in that was yet to record. And plus new stuff being written all the time that it was exciting and we could keep it up like that then. Yeah. Matter of fact, we could keep it up like that now if we really, really wanted to. We just would need a whole lot more money. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I noticed just 
I think it was this past week was the 30th anniversary of the self-titled album. Like, what are your memories of, of that time period? I remember, um, let's see, the self-titled, that would have been number, is that number four? Yeah, number four. Yeah. Um, well, around that time was the time that I started feeling, I mean, I still had good positive memories of doing that album, but I remember feeling like we were more on a time schedule and had to be finished by a certain date on that album. We never did that to ourselves before. And um, I can remember feeling like we were starting to imitate ourselves of what we thought King's X was supposed to sound like. And on our first two albums, those type of thoughts were something that were never even allowed in the room. So I was starting to get a bit uh, displeased with the box we had built around ourselves by the time we did the fourth album. And I knew that things were going to have to change soon. Uh, we can't just keep doing the same thing. You know, that's how I was feeling at that time. <laughs> was that pressure partly from the record company to like, we got to get something new out? Well, I'm sure that it had to do with that. And our manager giving them a say, we can, ha we can hand this to you by this date. So they, record company then started putting things into action, you know, that will happen from that date forward. You know, they have to make their whole year plans, uh, you know, and marketing and everything. So I think it was just a matter of, you know, our manager uh, probably worked it out with them what seemed like a reasonable time, but the fact is it wasn't enough time. And we felt the pressure of that. And that made me mad because we had never done that to ourselves before. And I, I remember thinking, why does this have to be done by Friday if by next Wednesday it can be right? You know, what is going on? This is nonsense. And how did this happen? Why are you doing this to us? You know, I, was, I felt that way toward our manager. And I was angry about it because we, had, like I said, never had a cutoff like that. We literally were recording over the weekend to the cutoff date and finished. Uh, wait, no, that, that was actually on Faith, Hope, Love, the third album where we had a cutoff time. And also on the fourth. So on the third album, Faith, Hope, Love, I remember we finished the song Faith, Hope, Love on the last weekend, right before turning it in, mixing it like the night before. It was that crammed and pressureful. And I was very unhappy with things being that way. Um, and after those two albums, we never let anything be that way ever again. Well, I guess on the kind of exact opposite of that, you know, the new King's X album has been done quite a while and hasn't been released. Like what's, is that hard as a musician or an artist to have something completed and not be able to share it with people that are dying to hear it? Um, well, because I knew it wasn't actually completed yet. Uh, I was not feeling that. I think because we left the studio in 2019, everybody thought it's complete. But that wasn't the case. Um, we actually continued working on it for a while from our home studios, uh, you know, thinking about which songs would make it on, which wouldn't, um, whether something needed more things. Doug did more recording on his own up out there on bass and vocals after we left. Uh, and he was out in L.A. because he lives there. So the album continued for a while after people thought it was finished. And it wasn't until just a few months ago that we finished the last song for real. Oh, we had okay. one song left that to me just needed a little something else before we could put it on the record. And so 
this wasn't planned ahead of time, but I, I ended up adding new vocals to it and everything and seeing if the band liked it. And uh, they did. And so Jerry and Doug both added more vocals. Wally Farkas added more vocals. And then and I added another guitar part to the song and did all that here at my studio, you know, my parts and um, sent it back out to L.A. And then Michael had to, you know, re-evaluate the song and mix it and everything. And so all of that stuff was happening not too terribly long ago. And then we went into mastering. And when we started mastering, uh, we took a long time on that and tried several different types of mastering. We, we went to tape in certain different ways to try to get different 70s vibe out of it. And I mean, tried all kinds of things till we got it honed into exactly what we wanted. And so the album wasn't finished actually when everybody thought it was. It's, it's only been actually finished, finished with a master turned in only a, only a few months now. Okay. Well, even when you guys started that in 2019, at that point, it had been over a decade since the last album. Was there a conscious decision to wait a while or was that just kind of naturally just because they're up to that point, you guys had released a lot of music over that course of the past 20 years. So what caused uh, the, the last, delay? The last album, the last two albums we did, Overtones and 15. Um, by the time we finished 15, <coughs> It became apparent to me that nobody's heart was in it the way it used to be. And um, like Jerry flew out on a weekend to do a cover gig while we're recording an album. Uh, Doug and Jerry left before the mixing. They didn't even, they didn't even stick around and just, and so I stuck out for a while, but then I got angry about it all being left on me. And then I left and just said, you know, to Michael Wagner, look, it's yours. Mix it, you know, do whatever you want. If the guys don't want to be here, then I'm out here too. And as soon as that album was over, I made a commitment to myself that I wasn't doing another King's X album. And that's why we didn't do albums for 10 years. I knew that we weren't in, in it hundred percent. And if we weren't, I didn't want to waste another second doing another album because I didn't want to tarnish our history by getting worse and worse, you know, and not caring. And I could just see that was our future is what I saw coming. And so I told everybody, I told our manager, I don't want to do another album. Don't even talk to me about it. I remember during that time, we had a couple of offers from labels. And, <coughs> and I actually got angry at um, my manager for bringing it to me because I told him, I said, I reminded him, I told you, I don't want to do another King's X album and don't even bring this to me. So then I didn't hear anything for years. Um, and, uh, I know that Jerry got to the same place too, and probably Doug eventually himself, but <coughs> excuse me, I'm very sorry. You're talking a lot. Let me get some water here. All right. What happened is once I realized there was no more pressure to do any more albums, then I felt better about being in the band. And then we started getting serious about touring and playing again and upping our game. And it was during that whole time since our last album that it's just gotten bigger, 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 bigger. And at a certain point when we realized we were selling out a majority of shows and in bigger venues, I think we started 
playing better again. We started connecting as a band again, started playing like we were young, like, and we started working out, you know, and everything. Jerry got a personal trainer and ended up in the best shape of his life. And we started going out playing. And I swear it felt like a 25 year old was on drums and he was wearing me out. So it, it lifted us up again. And we all of a sudden realized, hey, we can up our game and still do this if we really want to. And we started falling in love with playing together again and really having fun live. And like I said, when you're playing to a packed, sold out place that's singing every single word of every song, you at some point you pinch yourself and go, you know, it would be stupid to never do another album with all this going on. And I think we just had the realization that we were playing good as a band again. We were caring again. We really wanted to do this again. And that's when we decided to do another album. And it turned out to be that kind of an album, like when we were young and we nearly killed ourselves trying to make it the best we could, you know. And we did. And I feel real proud of what we did. I think it's an elevated level. Uh, beyond what we've had in quite some time. And I'm very happy about that. I know you guys haven't released a, or an announced a release date yet, but is that something we can expect like sooner than later? Or do you know yet? I know when it's going to happen and I know when the announcements are coming, but I can't tell you. Just know that they're coming soon. The record label is in charge of all that and planning, you know, timing things out. But we had a long meeting just a few days ago about all that and everything is planned and rolling and you'll be hearing about it all very soon. Okay. Who ended up producing this one? Uh, Michael Parnin. Okay. And he's somebody that we all three wanted to work with very badly do, you know, because of past projects he had done with Doug and other people. And uh, we've known Mike for years. So uh, when we finally did decide to do something, we considered several people, but in the back of my mind, I kept thinking, man, I wanted, I would love to do this with Michael Parnin. And it just worked out where that was what all of us wanted to do. So we did. It was great. Well, going way back again, the first time I ever saw you live was on the Motley Crue Typo Negative Tour. And I'm a big fan of all three of those bands, but they're all three bands are, you know, wildly different. And yeah. when you're on that tour, did you guys feel out of place at all? Cause I always felt like both typo negative and Kings X would be kind of out of place to a Motley Crue crowd. But by that point in the mid nineties that, you know, the landscape had shifted and everything. I just always kind of wondered about that from a band's standpoint. I think that I personally have felt out of place on any tour we've ever done in history of the band, because <laughs> who, who else are we going to go out with where we fit? Right. I mean, I, I don't know anybody. So I always feel out of place always, <laughs> but <laughs> But we've gotten used to that. And that's the thing is, you don't want to be preaching to the choir. You want to get in front of people who aren't the normal people who come see you. That's how you get new fans. So being out of place is a good thing on an opening situation. Right. Right on, Manuel. I love the new album. Looking forward to the new King's X album. And I appreciate you taking the time with me today. Absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate it. There you go. Ty Tabor of King's X. A huge thank you to Sean Gold of PFA Media for his help with that one. And of course, a massive thank you to Ty for taking some time out there to talk to me about everything he's got going on with his solo work. The new album Shades is out now and everything that's going on with King's X. And like he mentioned, new King's X will be out sometime later this year. They'll be touring. So be on the lookout if you're a King's X fan. 
If you're not for some reason and you're just listening to this because you like listening to podcasts, I appreciate that. But I implore you to dig back through some King's X, you know, material. Ty Tabor's solo work. You know, it's just, they're one of those bands that did something that a lot of bands can't do, which is carve out a sound, carve out an identity that is all their own. Sure, you could listen to King's X and say there's elements of this or that, but you can't say King's X sounds like so-and-so. You can't just pick one artist. And there's not pretty much, you know, that I know of artists out there since that you could say so-and-so sounds like King's X. You can say, obviously, this band was influenced by King's X, but they can't pull off what Ty and Doug and Jerry have done, which is impressive. You know, that the album Dogman, like I mentioned earlier, was the one that really put me over the top from just being a average fan to being a big fan. And just songs like Dogman, Pretend, Black the Sky, man, what else was on that album? Pillow, that just, you know, totally blew my mind. They did a cover of Manic Depression, you remember on that Jimi Hendrix tribute album that came out around that same time, Faith, Hope, Love which is probably their most recognizable album to most people, is another masterpiece. We Are Finding Who We Are kicks that thing off. It's Love, Mr. Wilson. I mean, I could just sit here and list song titles for you to check out. But I would just implore you to go to Spotify or YouTube or wherever you listen to music, pull up King's X and just hit shuffle, and just sit back and enjoy the ride. And then do the same thing with Ty Tabor's solo music. And everything has been a part of, if you did that, you could be listening to music for the next several days nonstop. That's how impressive this man's catalog is. So, huge, huge honor. Very glad to have Ty on here. Looking forward to new King's X as well. So, with that being said, if this is your first time listening, I greatly appreciate it. There have been 343 previous episodes before this one. I can't sit here and list everybody that's been on it. And I probably kind of should have dug through to see at least someone that I could say in the vein of King's X. But like I just said, you don't really say that. So I'm just going to list off some hard rock and metal artists that have been on this podcast. If you're a fan of progressive rock, progressive metal, Jeff Tate, formerly of Queensryche, was, Queensryche sorry, was just on here a few weeks ago. Last year, Dee Snyder of Twisted Sister was on here. Man had on Paige Hamilton from Helmet a couple times, members of Corrosion and Conformity, Crowbar a couple times, I've had on Gene Simmons of Kiss, Bruce Kulick formerly of Kiss, I've had on several former members of Megadeth, including Dave Elfson twice, we've had on, let me see, Frank Hannon of Tesla has been on here three times now, just recently Damon Johnson announced that Brother Kane is coming back. He is also a member of Thin Lizzy. He is now a fill-in member of Leonard Skinner while Gary Rossington is out sick. He is also a member, or he was a former member of Black Star Riders. He has now been on this podcast six times. We've also had on members of, never had on a member of Skid Row. I rambled about them so much earlier. You know what, maybe I should get Scotty Hill on here, because you never hear what Scotty Hill's opinion is about the whole situation. And he's been in that band since the beginning as well. You always hear what Rachel or Snake have to say, but anyway, I digress. If you like that 
genre of 80s rock. Like I said, Tesla, we've also had on Vivian Campbell of Def Leppard, had on guys from Warrant, Nelson, Trickster, Firehouse, Junkyard, Kicks, L.A. Guns, Slaughter, a huge long list. Also had on some heavy metal guys, guys like Shooter Jennings in the country world. The list is grand and long. TheThunderUnderground.com. You can find all the socials there. You can listen to the podcast directly there. Wherever you're listening to the podcast right now, hit subscribe or like so you don't miss future episodes. I would really appreciate that. Follow us on all the socials. And on those socials, when you see a post from Thunder Underground, if you could just click like or click share or make a comment, that greatly helps. That helps the algorithms and all that stuff. Spread the post a little bit further. So I'd appreciate that as well. You can listen to us pretty much anywhere podcasts are heard, including Spotify, Apple Music, all that stuff. Once again, a huge thank you. Well, before I say a huge thank you, let me say, coming up soon, we have recorded interviews coming with Lejean Witherspoon of Seven Dust and Ron Kill of Kill and Steeler. Both those will be coming in the coming weeks. We've also got a couple others scheduled as well. Those will be announced shortly. But there you go. Something to look forward to. Once again, a huge thank you to DEB Concerts, Med Farm, Sunset Tattoo, PFA Media, and of course, Ty Tabor. And until next time. We'll talk to you soon. Again, hopefully, someday. <laughs> Absolutely. I appreciate it. Thunder Underground, y'all.